Welcome to Arts Monday Sympoesis here on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. This program takes place on the Gediga land of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of this land, and I pay my respect to the elders, past, present, and yet to come. My name is Ira, and I will be with you for the next hour and a half, talking to artists and writers whose works take inspiration from the natural worlds, contribute to the dialogue on climate change, and look at the ways to raise environmental consciousness. Joining me in conversation today will be visual artist Thomas Storbilister, and we will be talking about the work he is making for the Orange Regional Gallery. Our conversation was recorded a couple of weeks ago at a Corridor Project residency in Kaura on the Wiradjuri country, where Thomas was developing his works. We sat down to talk about his process, which is led by collaboration with nature and questions the artist's agency. Torby Lister makes paintings that absorb and reflect the local environment and are as such idiosyncratic portraits of the ecology of a place. He places his linens or canvases into the site and leaves them there for a period of time so they are exposed to and affected by the elements and the climate of the place, with wet and dry weather dynamic often being a key feature in making of the works. Once the elements leave their mark on the linen, Torby Lister paints over the crevices left on the surface to accentuate the marks left. He works in monochrome black and white tones, as to minimize the illustrative and leave plenty of space for the poeticism and the imagination to enter. More about all this will be revealed in our conversation which was recorded while some of the creative decisions around the making of the works were still being considered, questioned, and at times even agonized over. Our conversation provides an insight into the early stages of the artist's process, the outcomes of which will be revealed at the opening of the Orange Regional Gallery exhibition on July 30. Said Radio 89.7 FM. This is my conversation with Aris Thomas Torby Lister. I'd like to start by asking you to offer three words that describe your current practice. And by current practice, I mean the work you're creating for the Orange. I want to say painting, but it's not particularly descriptive. And I'm also arguing with myself in my head about how much it actually is painting. I would say place. I feel it's important where this is happening and what it's all about. 
another word which springs to mind just in terms of how this process has been unfolding because as you know it's kind of relatively new or developing the methodology of it is developing so perhaps sensitivity yeah maybe painting place and sensitivity for now I'm not sure if painting is exactly right but it's um, where I'm coming from and do these words coincide with the words you would choose for your practice in general or would you choose three different words uh, no, I'd definitely choose painting if we're talking about my practice. Sensitivity might not be quite the right word, mm -hmm. but it would there would be something not as delicate in my broader practice. A certain sensitivity, but um, perhaps it's more observational, it's more inquisitive kind of learning, understanding, researching, so I guess in a way that sort of sensitivity um, and place is is definitely still a big part of the, the rest of my practice, my studio work. What are some of the questions mm -hmm. this work that you're making for the Orange is motivated by the questions you are asking yourself while developing this project? That is a good question. I mean, there's been questions around the process or the methodology because it came from a chance encounter, the original work, which was then meditated on and researched into and understood further, which, you know, led to my interest in that way of making. Definitely the question of agency has been a big driver, understanding how that works and how that changes. I suppose because this project is resulting in an exhibition there's also been questions about the final presentation. If I was just making this work to then take back to my studio and consider I wouldn't have as many questions about the development, the finalization and the exhibition of the work. So I guess it's the making it's what's occurring during the making and it's posing questions of, of how to present this, how best to showcase what's happening and what to include and not include. And do you feel that there is a core idea that informs this work or that underlines this project? I don't know if it's an idea exactly, but how I approach it is that it is a site response, it's a site responsive project. That's sort of the main idea behind it, is I'm responding to the place I'm describing or recording or an open approach to responding to the site in some way, whether that's video, drawing, painting, whatever the medium might be, and conceptually the approach has been different, like from airspace to here. Airspace actually became about memory in the end. So I don't want to enclose it too much with one idea, but the main driving idea behind it is to be site responsive. Mm. And then at the same time in making these works for the Orange Regional Gallery, mm. you're guided by the desire or an attempt to relinquish the agency and embrace the accidental 
where did the idea to work in this way come from and why is it interesting to you or even important to work in this way? Uh, well, the idea came from, well, not the idea, the, the chance happening came from the initial residency here at Cowra at the mm. Corridor Projects where I was developing a number of different works and then I had a chance accidental encounter with a piece of canvas which had been affected by the rain and the wind and the sun which had just been lying in the studio floor and it was partly exposed to the outside and then the light, the afternoon sun showed me that surface and how the environment had sculpted that surface into an interesting form and so I recorded that by airbrushing at the surface. I later meditated on what that was about and saw the significance in that, the importance, and just I suppose there's an interest in how that had come to be, how I'd incidentally recorded place and made work about this site through an incidental moment. So I guess through that research and through developing that idea and reflecting on that artwork and that occurrence, I realised that I could work with that. But that's been, it's been interesting being here and trying to recreate that work or recreate that process. The results have been quite different to what I expected. That doesn't completely answer your question. There's another two parts at the end. I think the part maybe that you haven't fully answered is why this relinquishing of agency mm. in making is of interest or importance. Uh, yeah, because it is part of the process of making the work. I have to leave the, the work to the forces of the environment in order to make the work. So it requires leaving the agency to weather or climate or forces or environment as part of the making of the work is critical to the making of the work. My part is is to try and understand that and work with it. I guess as an idea, the idea of agency, it's not present in my studio practice. My studio practice has a really different working methodology and in other site responsive projects that I have made, whether it's resulted in an exhibition or it's just been a responsive project, agency hasn't played a part or being clear in, in the making of those works or the, or the responses to those sites. And yeah, I think it's significant to this site and to this project. And it's important because it is a critical part of how the work is made. And as an idea, why I might find that important or interesting to follow is it provides an alternative way to make work about a place that leaves a lot of a lot of the making to the place. And can you describe how the works are actually made? So I take the linen, I prepare the linen by cutting it to size, generally oversized to what I'm thinking for final work, which is critical with this body of work because it is going into an exhibition. I think if I wasn't exhibiting it, the sizes might not be such a critical step. Uh, but I consider the sizes of the work. I prepared the canvas by cutting it to that size. I then ironed the linen with a 
regular house iron um, to flatten it completely so the surface was as smooth and flat as I could get which then allowed any impact, any force or wind or anything that changed the surface it would be really clearly visible. So I ironed and prepared the linen and then I laid those sheets out on the barn floor ready to take into the environment, into the site, or put it at various sites, but maybe down by the river or in the field, and let the environment do its thing. Rain, wind, hail, sunshine, whatever. But uh, as you know, things unfolded a little differently. So uh, the barn roof, or the where the studios are, leaked during some heavy rainfall, and number of the works were impacted by that rain. There was one particular sheet of linen which incidentally sat directly below quite a strong heavy leak through the roof which I was completely unaware of and uh, so upon going to observe the, the linen and take it out into the rain which was my working methodology to sort of have this wet dry process allowing you know, quite uh, contrasting elements of the environment to shape the canvas. Yeah, I entered the barn and, and the work had already begun. So the environment had started impacting the, the substrate and recording the surface and shaping the surface, which was really interesting and, and uh, brought into, into a lot of discussion about agency and about, you know, when I would intervene, if I would intervene. Yeah, it brought into question the working methodology. So now the what rain's cleared and we have a bit have a bit more of an idea through discussion and through looking and thinking and meditating on the process the work is now beginning to dry and the the surface is quite distorted from the heavy dripping rain and it's now my choice when to take back that agency as the as the artist and paint the surface to capture that texture and that um, that effect that was left. Uh, the two other works and a number of other tests are, are around the site. The two other works, I'm deciding what places to put them um, after conducting a number of tests. Some in the river, some in the field using different sheets of canvas and linen. So a few field tests, a few test sort of recordings of different sites at this place. Yeah, there's two, there's two large works which remain undecided at this stage, but I have another week residency here and we'll see what unfolds. You're on Eastside Radio 89.7 FM. This is Arts Mondays in Poesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. Today I am playing to you my conversation with visual artist Thomas Storbilista, recorded at the Corridor Project Residency in Cowra, New South Wales, a couple of weeks ago while Torbilister was developing the works that will be exhibited at the Orange Regional Gallery from July 30. When you are choosing the location, external location, and you are deliberately finding a site within which to place the linen or the canvas, what are you looking for in the location? What informs your choices? Well, I have a limited experience with this working 
methodology and making this work in general. So it is still exploratory and experimental for me. I don't have a really clear idea of results or how best to control elements of it or where to put things exactly. And, and obviously every site is different. I think the overarching method, which has, I suppose, given me high contrast results is the wet and dry. So placing the linen in a context where it may be rained on or it may be soaking in a river or it may be subject to moisture in a tunnel or whatever the environment is and then in contrast allowing it to dry out. That's kind of all I have. Other sites really are the sites of interest like the river, the Wyangla River is... Um, uh, the Lachlan River, sorry, flowing from the Wyangla Dam. It's just a beautiful site and um, a really interesting location and there's there's uh, so much going on there. How much of that gets recorded on the surface of the linen, I have no idea, uh, have no control over. I think I'm looking for a site that is dynamic in whatever that may be, whether it's the climate, whether it's the physicality of the site, whether it's the complexity of the plants, whether it's a unique feature like perhaps fungi or moss, whether it's something more dramatic and obvious about the site, such as a river or a lake or something which has a chance to provide a dynamic range of results, I suppose, or perhaps climate. Mm. So given that in that process of choosing the site and having all these considerations in mind, you are directing the piece in a certain way, where would you say that the agency remains in those works? The agency mm. of nature and you relinquishing your own agency mm. as a maker? Well, I mean, really, it's in the sculpting of the surface. It's in the recorded results on the surface. So whether that's dirt and dead bugs or crinkling from rain or sun, whether that's folding from wind. Really, it's the sculpting of the surface, which is at the total agency of the environment. And that changes site to site across the, across the place. Obviously, you know, the river or the, or the dry grassy hill. But in both of those places, the agency is always with the environment. So, I mean, it is, as an unfolding process, as a process I'm learning while developing and something that's experimental to me in terms of my overall artistic practice, I suppose I'm still learning about agency, which seems to be the sort of critical part of the work the agency of, let's say, the environment or the weather, weather as, as the agent in the work. Like with the barn works, that was a surprise because the uh, agency had already been, or was always with the environment at that site and the works had started where I had not intended them to begin yet as such. So I'm, I'm really treading this, this boundary of agency, 
trying to understand how critical it is to allow total agency of the work to the environment and how critical my taking and relinquishing and, and how much that dialogue needs to happen to create the work. I mean, the agency through chance has definitely been something which I feel is more interesting. If I'm dragging a work uh, from site to site and taking a lot more control, or a lot more agency of how the work is directed, I'm not sure what is a better working method, whether it's about the exchange of agency. In the end, I'm not sculpting the surface at all. I'm not making any marks on it. I'm not um, folding it. I'm not putting anything on it until the end where I take total agency of the work and record that form, the form of the surface. And when you speak about the end, um, which is the end of the impact of the environment onto the surface and recording of the environment on the surface, how do you choose that ending point and what length of time do you allow for the work to be exposed to the elements? And is it always the same or do you intuit when the process has ended? Um, well, there's a few parts of that. I mean, like I said, I'm still understanding the working methodology. I don't have a set way of making these works. I think that, if anything, speaks to the fact that it is a collaboration with the environment and with the site and with weather. Is there's a lot of unpredictability, there's a lot of chance, there's a lot of changes. I'm just trying to work with those and understand them. There's, there's no set time that I leave anything. Some things have been on this site now for four days, untouched, just uh, visited and recorded. And other works I've uh, moved from one site to another site. And then there's a few works which in my conceptualizing of the work haven't begun yet. So there's, there's a lot of different aspects going on, but the finalizing of the work is definitely the painting aspect of it. And I feel at this stage, to be in line with the concepts that I'm exploring, it needs to be painted at the site that it is made at. So because it is a sculptural forming of the surface, there's a lot of other elements, dust and, and grass and um, you know other, other subtle changes to the substrate, but the main thing is the sculpting of the form. If I move it or drag it or try to lift it up as a piece of fabric, it's, I'm immediately changing uh, what's happened there and controlling the work or, or just changing the work in some way. So the finalizing of the work is when the paint happens, but it also is when I decide to leave something where it is. So if I place a piece of linen in the field and decide that that's where the work will stay, then the end of the work is is uh, already in that decision, I suppose, mm -hmm. to not continue the conversation of agency, to leave the agency alone. What kind of relationship to nature are you establishing through this works, this practice? Definitely a personal sensitivity. I've been more sensitive to this place and the surrounding environment and climate than when I, I visited before. 
I think it's really meditative, the process. It's really made me tune in to the subtle changes in both the broader site and the work as it's developing. It's made me sensitive to what's happening around and on and to the work. So I've been listening a lot, been aware of sound, which in terms of my artistic practice, I've, I've never worked with sound. And I think this kind of sensitivity and this delicate sort of meditation on choice and the evolving aspects of the work has opened up potential things to follow in my work. Mm. At some point you also spoke to me about the importance of truth and honesty and sincerity in your practice and in the process of making the works. When does the work feel honest and true and sincere? Mm. I suppose making choices and walking that delicate line of agency, trying to understand what this work is about, the different aspects of the work, how the work is made and what's happening as the work is being made. I want to be sensitive to the process, try and be as, as true to the ideas that are emerging as I'm working. And I think that requires a very careful approach to what's happening. So with the works in the barn, when they just began through incident, through the leaking roof, the canvas started being affected. The incident or the chance that happened there felt special in some way. I mean, chance often is, or um, it's at least unexpected and surprising, which uh, offers kind of an excitement to it and gives maybe a bit of life to the thing that's happening. And it felt what was happening in the barn with the way that the work had just begun and I had no idea that was going to happen, felt more in line with the original concept or the original work which occurred completely through chance. So I suppose that's why leaving the agency to the weather in the barn and the, the chance happening that happened there felt more truthful because these works are being developed from one initial chance encounter. And so I'm trying to remain as true to that original idea which birthed the concept of these works. Um, I don't think there's anything dishonest or untruthful about engaging in a different working methodology, as in taking back the agency, moving those pieces from site to site, and engaging more with this sort of conversation of agency. I don't think there's anything particularly dishonest about that, but I think the truth part of it and the honesty part of it relates to the original founding of the idea or the work, which was very much chance. Yeah, it was interesting because I think that at one point you also spoke about how avoiding manipulation and intervention felt more magical in a way, and I think you just spoke to that mm. in different ways. And then I was also thinking how, when it comes to truth and honesty as the themes in your work, it also seems to be related to your investigation of the accuracy of representation mm. in terms of how accurately we can represent the landscape or the environment. I think more accurately represent the idea. 
I'm interested, in fact, in the inaccuracy and the flawed ways of depicting place and site and landscape or depicting location and mapping. And I'm actually interested in, in it not being perfect. I think that's part of the sculpting of the works in the studio and in terms of the way that they're made, they're always going to be flawed or inaccurate. I think the accuracy or the truth of it is more about having a starting point, a purpose. What is this work about? Why am I making this work? What is the work saying? And I think that's fairly common for most artists. So I think the truth relates more to idea than process and, and definitely with accuracy. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's exactly what I had in mind, this search for accuracy or truth in inaccuracy in a mm. sense that the fixed geography or cartography is always incomplete and unreliable record of the true experience of the environment. And so I'm feeling that you're kind of resolving this difficulty by putting the attention towards representing communicating or evoking the experience of the environment rather than the physicality of the site. So you're searching for the way to represent or reenact or re-evoke the experience of the site. Yes, it's definitely about translating the experience of a place rather than the location or the technical positioning of yeah, because I mean, this this is uh, something you said at one point that you don't want to represent an object but a feeling. Hmm. I think that's true for this project particularly, but even with my more direct transcriptions of aerial maps and aerial photography of places, even with those works, I'm. Um, I'm still offering a, a view of, the, of that landscape or that place that is inaccurate or um, that, that still aligns with those same ideas. Despite the process being very meticulous and very precise, I'm working with, with imagery that's from the past and current imagery and then I'm also working with the painting as a sculpture and it undergoes a lot of processes and as you know, with any artist, when you're depicting something, there's, there's always your hand in the work and chance. Even when I'm trying to very truthfully represent a place or a landscape, there is an element of inaccuracy. Mm. And then it questions what is accurate. Is this actually a more accurate representation of the site? which carries in itself the emotional impact of the site rather than mm. something that is a fixed image that may be actually more false than these alternative ways of recording Definitely, the landscape yeah. or the environment yeah. are. And then I'm wondering how is this received by the audience in the sense that also when I ask you a question about the relationship to nature that you are establishing or exploring or looking at and you spoke about sensitivity in your approach that's evoked and I'm wondering how this sensitivity is translated and received by the audience how do you translate this experience onto a canvas 
mm. damage. With this project, I haven't had a chance to see the response, but in terms of the sensitivity in the work and how that's understood, I find with my studio paintings, which I've exhibited a number of times, that the delicate amount of detail in the work and attention to kind of precise detail in the work lends itself to the understanding of sensitivity. So with my landscape transcriptions, map transcriptions, the meticulous, precise and delicate process of making and folding each of those ridge lines and each of those topographic markers of the of the site is felt by the audience that sensitivity through creating the work is felt through the complexity of it or through the through the detail in it so i hope and i expect that there that there would be a similar connection with these works which as final paintings stretched flat and and hung they do evoke a similar aesthetic sense as my studio based works even though the starting point and the ideas explored are conceptually split aesthetically the end result does still echo a topographic landscape and i think that in those details that's where the audience can feel the the delicacy of how it's made and the and the sensitivity to the process overall i i hope and what mm. about the haptic quality of your image the fact that the surface evokes a sense of touch and tactility mm. i think the illusion of a 3d space in a 2d space is generally what gives that sense of physicality or physicality of surface and texture and that evokes a sense of touch or a, or a haptic sense or a haptic reaction to the surfaces because of the illusion of the texture or the 3D nature of it. But I think also the choice of linen as well has been a big change in the work. I used to work with primed flat, primed white canvas and the works had a very flat, precise, digital aesthetic to them. With the linen, and I'm using raw, clear-coated linen, so you get the natural, the colour of the natural fibre, but also quite a rough texture on the surface because it isn't primed with any paint. I think that the, the textural quality of the linen and the warmth of the natural fibres also engages people in that kind of intimate way. Mm. And what about the scale of your work? You spoke at the beginning about how you put attention to selecting scale when you're working mm. on an exhibition and your works for this particular exhibition in orange will be large scale, bigger than the body. Mm. Yeah, two, what two is the four. significance of that scale and what decision processes are you going through in your head when you are thinking about the scale? Mm. I think there's a number of a number of reasons for the scale. Foremost, it's definitely about placing people in the work. So I want the work to be immersive, visually immersive. So scale is a really good way to provoke that sense of being 
encapsulated by the work. With this particular project, I am considering the final exhibition, which is quite a large gallery. So I have a lot of working space. I want the works to still have an impact in that space and not be dominated by the, the architecture. So again, the end result is, is being considered in it. But really, it's the immersive quality. It's transporting people and, and bodies into that place that I'm making the work about. So a sense of physicality and immersion. I think also because landscape or the environment is so immensely broad, <laughs> I feel like my huge pieces in terms of gallery scale or perhaps even just the scale of paintings, they're very big paintings, but in the landscape they're a pinprick of a place and I think the vastness of sight needs scale to capture some of that feeling especially here where we're working in the country where there is a lot of open space there is a lot of open sky there's a lot of sense of scale and sense of space and just the vastness of the environment there's probably another aspect to scale that relates indirectly to ways of mapping, the history of mapping. So before we had digital maps and GPS, maps were hand-drawn and they were drawn at different scales like 1 to 1 or 1 to 25 or 1 to 1000. So there were varying scales physically drawn at those scales. So some maps were many, many, many metres wide by many metres deep. So huge, huge maps translating or attempting to translate place and location and geography and terrain and, and, and all these things which I'm exploring myself. And I guess the way that I'm mapping place is kind of fairly analogue way. And so I think that there's a... A loose, a loose connection there. It's something more that I understand through my research and through my research of mapping and the history of mapping and cartography. So is mapping relevant to the Orange Regional Gallery project? In a sense, I think so. I would say that they are a, a way of uh, mapping, perhaps not in the traditional sense, but could be a way of mapping climate. They're recordings. They're recordings of site and recordings of place and environment climate, forces, atmosphere, all of these different elements being recorded and they're about particular locations. And so in a sense, we could probably relate them to mapping, mm -hmm. but it's not a driver at the moment with this particular project. Isa Radio 89.7 FM. You are listening to the conversation with artist Thomas Torbilister, recorded at a corridor project in Kaura on Virajuri country, where I sat down with Thomas to talk about the process of making the works for his coming Orange Regional Gallery exhibition opening on July 30. We will take a short music break and when we come back we'll find out more about the questions and processes employed in the making of the works that have collaboration with nature and the sensitivity to place at their core.
This is Arts Monday's Poesis, where we talk about art and environmentalism. Today I am playing to you my conversation with visual artist Thomas Storbilis, recorded at a corridor project in Kaura, where Thomas was developing his works. That will be exhibited at the Orange Regional Gallery from July 30. Here is the second part of our conversation. Given that the work records the atmosphere and the climate of the site over time, and in that way it captures traces and imprints, is there a connection between your work, and I mean specifically this work you're making now here at Kaura, is there a connection between that work and photography? Mm, interesting. Yeah, I think that the, the linen substrate, the, you know, the linen surface, acts in a similar way to a light-sensitive photographic sheet of paper or something. Um, I'm not sure if it relates in any way, particularly to the camera and that way of recording. What about cyanotype? Yeah, I think the imprint is something that, that stretches across my work in photography. I think um, in the final result, certain tonal qualities evoke a sense of of photography, especially black and white photography with the, that range of tonal quality. And we were talking um, when we were in the barn yesterday about those choices when I am painting the surface where I choose to apply more paint or less paint and in a sense uh, control the eye or control the overall aesthetic and my sort of agency of doing that you know, my position as the artist doing that. And uh, I explained that process to you 
how I understood it and the way that photographs are made in the dark room, analog, not digital photography, where you're exposing the image from a slide onto the photographic paper and you dodge and burn using different tools to block light, to make areas darker and to leave light to make areas lighter. So you're controlling the tonal quality of the photograph in a manual, manipulative sense. Um, I definitely feel like there's, there's crossovers with photography. I think in the recording, the recording of the environment and the climate, I don't have enough experience with a variety of sites to really know what carries over to really know the variations of these types of recordings. The most experience I have is with this wet and dry change in climate or change in weather at sites. And I suppose in that wetting of the, of the surface and drying, you know, I get, it does relate in, in ways to my experience in dark rooms um, where you're dipping the sheets and as a screen printer um, thinking about dark rooms and exposing surfaces and etching into surfaces and but I think it's probably more in like the working methodology and the resulting aesthetic rather than the recording on a surface mm-hmm. um, and so now that uh you touched also on the process of eventual painting over the surface where you take back the agency and you start manipulating the surface by spraying it and you're making certain again aesthetic choices as you're doing that. Can you speak to me a bit about the kinds of choices that you're considering then in terms of aesthetic? Initially it's about an even overall application of paint so that every part of the linen has an even application of paint which just gives me a sense of what's there. When I look at the form of the linen I see it very sculpturally. It's the same as in the studio when I'm folding the linen it it moves between being a 2D work and a 3D work and that's what I mean when I reference the word sculpture. So the sculpting of the surface at this site, there's always more dramatic protrusions or folds or wrinkles across that surface. Some sit higher, some sit lower. So naturally when I'm applying the the paint, which I apply at at a low angle evenly across the surface, while it's flat on the ground working on the ground. Naturally there's accents of the more raised parts of the surface and the lower parts of the surface. I might for example give more emphasis to something that is uh, quite a small detail. So sculpturally the lower or low relief forms on the surface versus the high relief forms. The high relief forms are always going to capture more paint. Um, across across them so they're always going to be more striking or, or more apparent and so often I'll actually lend detail to the lower relief parts of the painting where there's there's subtleties in that space so I give them kind of an equal footing in terms of tone 
Some works might have a large flat space that was relatively unaffected or in terms of transcribing from a map or a, or a landscape of an aerial photograph of a place. There might be large, broad, flat or relatively flat areas and those spaces might need, I guess it's an embellishing in a way that uh, I could heavily darken those areas so that they sit a lot more forward or sit a lot more back. Mm. I think really it's about playing with light almost. And so when you speak about lending detail to subtleties and maybe emphasizing those is your aim to still always stay true to the original recording so you are not actually creating a false mm. I think it's almost essentially impossible to do that unless I physically change the surface the surface has been sculpted by the environment and all the variation of forces at play and unless I physically interact with that surface by flattening it or adding an extra crinkle because there wasn't enough, um, the work is always completely truthful. I think the amount of paint, the application of the paint, has relatively little play in the overall truth of the work because the form's already sculpted. Mm-hmm. How much of that sits in higher contrast or, or lower contrast, how much of that is given visual preference, I don't have... M- much control over. I think that the control is more over the general tonality of the work. Do I want this work to be a lot darker or a lot lighter? And where do I want the light in the work to be coming from? Do I want the light to be coming from one direction or feel like it is coming from one direction, multiple angles, which give a a, more of a sense of three-dimensionality because the light's coming at multiple angles. It is kind of a... It's playing with light, even though I'm working with paint. So at certain stages of the work, I'm thinking about how I would light the work. Like the original work, for example, that that, um, sparked this conceptual inquiry and these ongoing projects, the original work... I noticed the surface because the low-lying setting sun is coming through the barn door and because of the angle it shone across the sculpted surface of the canvas and put a heavy shadow across it. And when I captured it, that's how I treated it, to try and capture that same sense of the light at that time. Mm -hmm. So I don't know whether that will be able to or will conceptually or practically carry across all of these works and how important the light is to all of them. I'm yet to understand that. But I still try to hold my initial experience of this work and conceptualising of this work as a truth. Mm. And why black and white? Mm. Uh, I've been working monotone for a very long time. Uh, trained as a printmaker and with a particular interest in screen printing. So um, as you and and maybe others know with printmaking to achieve anything other than a monotone colour there's a lot of uh, work involved in especially in achieving a complexity of colours 
and with screen printing that would involve up to four screens oh, well minimum of four screens up to eight screens and a very detailed and precise mixing of dots of color <laughs> uh, so I think the graphic quality of screen printing is what I really enjoyed. I've always drawn and drawing has always been line work, not so much shading or color. It's been about line, tone, and yeah, these graphic qualities. And I guess being a self-taught painter, uh, I brought across those ideas and, and those aesthetic values into painting. I personally don't feel I have a great sense of colour or a great control of colour. Um, I have explored colour in the past. For this particular work and for my studio practice now, I don't see a reason for colour. Yes, I could make that work in green or in red or in a variety of colours of, of my choice, but I don't personally know why I would use colour. I don't feel like I have a a need to use colour. Colour for me personally is, it feels very obvious. It can easily feel amateur or contrived unless you have a real sense of colour and a real understanding of colour. And I don't particularly have an interest in colour. Might have been a dog in my past life. I see very flat, I see very graphically, I see line, I see edges of things, I see light, I see tonality. I don't often think about colour, mm. and so I think as an artist those those things come into play in the work. And and I have a history of, of working at, as a monotone or black and white mm -hmm. artist, so... I just want to come back to the effect that the work has on the audience and just considering this absence of color and the way that that's then received by the audience and if you take a moment and consider how would the effect of what you're trying to communicate or convey through your work be changed if it was in color as compared to that absence and what mm. is the effect of the absence? Well, I mean, I would argue that there is plenty of colour there, but that's someone who works in subtleties of colour. So, for example, the natural tonality of the linen is something which I think evokes a lot of different responses in the audience. I think that there's a, a warmth and a comfort. I think there's a sense of natural materials. The linens which I source all have a varied tonality. So some batches of the linen are lighter um, due to the fibers that were used, uh, due to the environment and climate that they were grown in and, and produced in. So all the linens have a, have a changing tonality. So I'm very attuned to those subtleties in my practice. In terms of the audience interaction with the work, I think that the raw linen, if we consider it a color, or the colors in, in the weaving of that linen, they definitely evoke a number of responses in the audience um, that I suppose are emotional responses. Mm -hmm. um, and that's generally, in my opinion, what color does in work. It evokes an emotional response. I have experimented with color and very privately shown that to a few people in my studio 
and one of my experiments was to use green or a, a range of greens in one of my aerial landscapes and uh, my experience was that with that was that it was uh, red as a landscape a lot quicker but that's also when the conversation stopped around what it was what it was depicting what it was evoking how it felt and what might be being said there so I feel like that's what I mean when color feels obvious to me it can stop the conversation or it can solve the work quite quickly for people mm -hmm. so I think having something that has natural colors in it and uh, has dynamic tonality and still has a strong sense of of illusion of surface and texture and um, you know especially with these works where they're being made on site there's there is actually quite a lot of debris and and subtle impacts on the surface that are there so I think that the audience has a chance to read the work or maybe they're maybe they're forced to read the work on a deeper level yeah some of the things that I was considering is how color is loud and in contrast to that black and white and monotone creates this sense of greater silence around the work and also achieves maybe that sensitivity that you spoke about and subtlety which allows for the space of imagination to enter and a calmness too i think yeah and through that maybe the work remains in a more poetic register it leaves that space for personal interpretation, interpretation yeah. and allocation of less literal meanings and felt response mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a more liminal sort of space. Allows room for that. Not being too directive with the work. I think that's important. I mean, the process is, is very deliberate and I have a very strong directive of why I'm making work about that place and my reasons for for highlighting, you know, perhaps natural disasters or changing in climate or the the impact on, the, on those in, that environments. But the end work definitely leaves a lot of open space. Mm. You have now touched upon the process and one of the things that you're intending to do as part of this exhibition is to reveal this process to the audience. So you are intending to actually take the, the audience behind the curtain, which in some way contrasts maybe this allocation of pure poetry and imagination and mystery of the work hmm. so I'm curious what leads you to consideration of giving the viewer the audience an insight into this part of the work hmm. that's a really good question um, it's something which emerged through my first chance to re-engage with this process um, at a unique site in North Sydney in the coal loader and it was came from that sensitivity of watching these changes and developments and noticing the subtle intimacies of the site, whether that's noise like sound or the surfaces or the changes in the work. Some of them are quite rapid changes and some were very slow developments of the surface. 
So I think tuning into all of these parts of the process, as much as it's the making of the work, it's also part of the work. The work is the end result and the painting that hangs in front of you in the gallery, but the work is also being attuned to those those different aspects of the site. So wanting to show some of the process emerged from that experience where in one sense I was documenting the process and the making of the work, but it also felt like the imagery that was coming from that and what I was noticing during that process, because a lot of the work, a lot of the making of the work is observational, it's meditative, it's subtle, and it's, it's tuning into those sensitivities. So that is part of making the work. So my choice to make a, make a book that showcases, yes, the working method or how the work was made, quite literally, I'm hoping to include imagery and notes and photographs that also speak to or are part of the work overall. I guess also with this, it, this is a project. This is a site responsive project. And so I thought it would be a nice way to gather this project visually, conceptually. And yeah, I guess it is allowing the audience a little bit behind the curtain. But it also is um, showing them the rest of the work, I feel.
You have been listening to Arts Monday Sympoesis here on ESA Radio 89.7 FM. My guest on the show today was visual artist Thomas Torby Lister, and we were talking about the process of developing the works that will be presented at the Orange Regional Gallery from 30th July to 25th of September. Torby Lister's works, as you have heard, look at a way to relinquish parts of the artist's agency and create in collaboration with nature, the elements, and the local environment. As such, they are idiosyncratic portraits of a place and poetic portals into the pulse of nature. To find out more about Thomas Storby Lister's practice, you can follow him on Instagram or head to his website, which is thomasstorbylister.com. For more about the coming Orange Regional Gallery exhibition, head to orange.nsw.gov.au gallery exhibitions. And for the Corridor Project residency where our interview was recorded, see thecorridorproject.org. If you have missed parts of today's conversation with Thomas Torby Lister or would like to listen back, head to eastsidefm.org slash artsmonday. Coming up next is Pino Scuro with Syncopatico and I will be with you in two weeks' time talking to more artists and writers whose works explore environmental themes and contribute to the dialogue on climate change. Until then, stay Eastside Radio. Moretarte 